Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is holistic artist coach Wendy Parr. First of all, a federal judge ruled on August 18th that the U.S. copyright law does not cover any creative work that's created by artificial intelligence. Now, this has been an issue that's been really closely watched by the music industry and basically all of entertainment. The U.S. Copyright Office has already issued guidance earlier in the year that any art that was 100% generated by AI could not be copyrighted. Although it's now pretty clear that a human must always be involved, there has been no ruling on just how much is enough. Federal courts have strictly limited for a long time what content can be created by humans, and basically it rejects any kind of works that were created by animals or forces of nature or even those claimed to be authored by divine spirits like religious texts. That said, many music AIs claim the copyright for the music that might be generated and then limit you to how you can monetize it. As you pay a higher monthly fee, you can go from freely licensing the music so you can use it almost anywhere to owning the copyright yourself. Now, we're talking about the copyright on the music only and not the composition. As of now, the AI can't copyright the composition part of it. So that's something that you own because you generated it. But music is a different story. We're in a brave new world here, and it's important to always read the fine print when you're using an AI to either generate music or artwork or lyrics, videos, or just about anything else. Be sure that you understand who owns a copyright because it could come back to bite you later if you don't pay attention. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Recording Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on the latest cutting-edge recording technology, multiple ways to mic over 70 different instruments, a new chapter on recording immersive audio, new Hitmaker Engineer interviews, and much more. To get your copy, go to rebrand.ly forward slash recording handbook. That's rebrand.ly forward slash recording handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now, wireless speakers, are they ready for prime time? With Atmos setups being created almost everywhere now, we're looking at way more monitor speakers being used, which means a lot more wiring. One of the things that would make this easier is wireless speakers. But while it's been possible for many years now, the problem has always been the decreased fidelity that made the technology pretty much a no-go for recording studios. Technology continues to advance, though, and Wi-Fi-enabled or Bluetooth speakers today not only offer a more stable and reliable connection, but they can also provide greater range and the ability to stream pretty much high-quality audio. Now, what should you get, though, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi? Really, none of this would be possible without the new codecs that have come out, like aptX and LDAC. As a result, wireless speakers can almost achieve lossless audio reproduction, and that means they can pretty much bridge the gap between wired and wireless systems. 
One of the most popular audio codecs used in wireless speakers is Bluetooth SBC, which stands for subband coding. SBC is a pretty versatile codec that offers reasonable audio quality while requiring pretty low power. However, due to its relatively low efficiency, it may not be able to deliver the same level of audio fidelity as more advanced codecs, especially when you need high-resolution audio content like we always do in the studio. One of the primary limitations of wireless audio is a potential for signal interference. Wireless signals can be susceptible to interference from all sorts of devices that are operating on the same frequency band, and that means wireless routers, microwaves, or any kind of other electronic devices. This interference can lead to drops in the signal strength or audio artifacts or even signal loss, none of which is acceptable in a studio environment. As a result, If you're going to go down this road, it's essential to select wireless speakers that operate on less congested frequency bands or use advanced interference techniques to minimize any kind of issues like that. Another big limitation of wireless audio is the inherent latency that comes with it. Now, latency refers to the delay between when the audio signal is transmitted and when it's reproduced at the speakers. Like I said, we've had a lot of advancements in this technology but latency can still be noticeable, and that means that wireless speakers won't work in the precise application that a studio requires. That said, the upcoming Wi-Fi 6 and Bluetooth 5.2 codecs promise to be not only faster, but have a wider bandwidth as well. This might finally make wireless speakers a wise choice for the recording studio, but only time will tell if it's going to work. My guest today is holistic artist coach Wendy Parr, whose personal and professional experiences led her to become a coach that helps artists lose perfectionism, overcome resistances, follow their inner vision, and curate a life and career that they love. With over 20 years coaching top music artists like Melanie Martinez, Sarah Barriels, Mark Bassey, and taking a great big world from their very first vocal session to a Grammy Award, the Parr Method has also been the driving force behind Wendy co-writing Dreams of Fire for the soundtrack of Slumdog Millionaire, which also won a Grammy. The Parr Method empowers recording artists to develop their authentic voice for their art, brand, and life from the studio to the stage. During the interview, we spoke about doing gigs around Hollywood as a teenager, making music in India with some top Indian artists, developing her holistic approach to coaching, and much more. I spoke with Wendy via Zoom from her office in Los Angeles. I know you started in the music business really early. So let's talk about that. Let's go back to when you first began doing your thing. Um, I started working professionally when I was eight as an actor, performer, voiceovers, musical theater. And I started songwriting fairly young and was working towards a contemporary recording. Uh, I wanted to be a recording artist. I wanted to be a, when I'm at that age, I wanted to be a pop star. So, or R&B singer. I was, I was doing a lot of R&B at the time. I just knew very young. I love music. I love using my voice. I have a voice. And I started working and working towards a career in music. Uh, Motown had my demo when I was 15. And a demo at that, at that time was an actual record, like live string section recorded in the studio because there's no such thing as, you know, at a home computer and Pro Tools, you know, a home studio. And um, at that time, also, there were no 15-year-olds. So there was no 
you know, Michael Jackson had probably been the last like young artist who, you know, came up as a, from his youth. And at that time, everybody was just, you know, grownups. So, and there was no YouTube, like, you know, they're just, that, that wasn't the time. So they really didn't know what to do with a 15 year old who had like a mature voice and definitely an, Definitely a mature, developed, you know, uh, spirit. Gone through a lot already. So there was a lot of, you know, I'm singing adult songs. And then later, you know, Warner Brothers and and when I was doing that, they're like, oh, you should sing more, you know, alt, like alt pop. That's more your sound. And and really what I help artists do now is was a process I didn't finish, right? Where I was given a lot of directions of, you know, be more this, be more that. And I was always pursuing finding myself. Um, which is what I do as a coach, right? Like I, I felt like all the stuff that happened to me is what happens to artists, you know, just getting misaligned or being told there's a r- certain way to do things, be more this, less that, um, as opposed to being developed and cultivated in a way that matches who I am, right? Let's help you do you. So that's really what uh, informed my coaching. I was invited by my coach, who was a very famous vocal coach, to start coaching in his studio. And I was like, well, I've never taught. I don't know how to do that. And he said, sure you do. And um, he was right. Like I'm, I am like, I'm an archetype. I'm an artist. I am still an artist. I'll always be an artist. If I'm cooking, I'm an artist. If I'm decorating my studio, I'm an artist. Um, And I am definitely a coach. Like I'm a teacher. I love to empower people. I love to gather information and see how I can help use that for others, for myself, for others. So I discovered pretty quickly I loved coaching and was putting more energy into that than putting myself on tour. And I was like, ah, you love this, you know, and uh, I spent 12 years teaching teachers around the world and helping them be better vocal coaches and implementing the same ideas that like, you know, coaches would have the same experience artists had, which is after about 18 months of training, they were suddenly not having fun anymore and trying to get it all right and feeling really pressured to be a perfect teacher and not make mistakes in front of their students who are also just, you know, artists. And again, I'm implementing the ideas to them of like, no, this is about you doing you. Like you've got tools to help people, but you got to use it in your way and your style. Like don't, there's no right way to teach. There's no right way to sing. So this became the cornerstone of how I coach, which is really empowering people to be themselves, find themselves, expand themselves and build a career that they love because they're being true to themselves. Now, you told me that you had a famous accompanist that taught you a lot. Yes, Bill Schneider. He worked in the studio with my coach, and he was, still is, Bette Midler's musical arranger. And he worked with her in the bathhouses in her early days. And, you know, up till, I know, the last tour, he's doing all her arrangements. And so he, and he's an amazing pianist. And so he was my first musician I really learned with and worked with. So the first person I'm working with has incredible skill at accompanying a vocalist, at supporting the singer. And um, I just learned a ton from him. You know, I really learned. I learned how to be a leader to my band. I learned how to, you know, work with him, ask for what I need. I can still hear melodies that he plays, like the songs we sang. I could still hear what the thing he would play and that, in you know, in, in, the, in, my, in my head. And I did... And when I was about 15, we were playing, we were playing two, three nights a week in LA uh, with a jazz trio. And he was the MD of that. And we do jazz standards. And then 
you know, building into like doing Whitney Houston covers. And there was a Dusty Springfield cover that I used to do called And Sometimes Like Butterflies. Oh, that song is so good. So I was playing out. I was really playing out about five nights a week when I was 15, 16 years old. Three of those would be my own gig. And then the others would be showcases around L.A. and, you know, constantly performing and meeting people. And at that same time, I was on the phone with Nippy, uh, Whitney Houston's manager, pursuing him to manage me. He would say to me, you know, I'm, again, I'm 15. He's like, I love your persistence. You just keep sending me stuff. You know, I, I love it. Keep sending me your music. And I was just on it, you know, working on it. You obviously were quite the prodigy if you're working at eight years old and you're able to do what you did at 15 already. You're doing what most people would be five years older, you know, doing. Probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I just I always knew what I wanted and I was thankfully like naive enough and somehow like strong enough to go after it. I remember I was having lunch with my mom at a restaurant and and it was like, you know, Hollywood people were there. It's L.A. So, you know, L.A., everyone's around. And I recognized her name as being a famous agent. And after the meal, I walked around to her table and I said, excuse me, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I'm, a, you know, an actress and a singer. And I would really love the opportunity to audition for you. And she was horrible. Her response was, well, you're no ingenue. and You need to lose about 15 pounds. And, you know, I mean, just cruel. Ooh. I'm literally, I'm a child, you know, I think I was 12 at this point when I, when I met her and we walked outside and I, I was just like, wow, that was terrible. She, she, she doesn't even, she didn't even like hear me sing. She doesn't know if I have talent. She just looked at me and like ripped me up. It, you know, I was like, if I was a different person, I would just give up right now. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I had tough enough skin to like, I mean, to hurt. it hurt. I still remember to this day that moment. So it, it had a strong impact. But I was also like, wow, she's just mean. And yes, I mean, I got everything for myself. I found myself an agent. I found a voice teacher when I was 10 and gave the, you know, my mom the number on a piece of paper and said, she teaches adults, but she said she teach me. Can I take voice lessons? You know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was fortunate to have, you know, my family that was supportive of my my path and my choice. And that I'm very fortunate for that. But I just I mean, I'm, I'm a person really driven by passion, you know, so right now I'm everything I've done in all these years. I've now created an artist development program online and live with me. And same, I'm driven by the same passion of like, OK, how do I get this to everyone? How do I scale this? How You know, I I've stepped into paths and journeys over and over again that I was absolutely not prepared for. Right. Just from the sheer passion and desire and purpose. And then, you know, you figure it out. You you know, you get a mentor, you get a coach, you read some books, you like, you just, you, you know, you get it way in over your head and, and it's that passion that drives me to keep going. And then my purpose, you know, to serve people, to make the world a better place, to, to fulfill my life, like my purpose on this, on this planet. And you figure stuff out, you know, it gets frustrating, but again, as a coach, I always say frustration is the moment before a breakthrough. That's a good one. Gotta remember that. It's true. You know, like if you're not satisfied where you are, you are going to adjust and figure something out to get satisfied. And so instead of just being lost in the frustration, just, you know, remember in that moment that this is the moment before a breakthrough, you know, don't wait for it. Like don't sit on your hands, but find your solution. And the same thing with songwriting. I remember where 
that moment when everything seems to have fallen apart, like two minutes before the song was so good. And then it just seems to be a mess and, and it doesn't make sense anymore. And I used to panic at that moment. And then I learned, oh, no, no, this is the moment right before it all comes together. Yeah. Like, it's that magic moment. Tell me about your travels to India. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Again, passion and purpose. So I was making a record. This is when I was, I was, I was making a record. And there's, there's always been this element. In my mind, it was just the ethnic sound. That was the word like on my whiteboard. It's like there's an ethnic sound. There's, there's some sound I'm looking for for my music. And an earlier record I made had West African influence, which was a period of my life. Like I was like, I went to West Africa. I was like very like, I'm the kind of person that when I do something, I immerse myself in it for a few years. I'm not a tourist. I'm a traveler. Like, so I immerse myself in that. So that was the first record. And I'd, again, I'd always just been looking for this sound. And that voice in my head said to me, remember that film you watched about seven years ago? Watch it again. So I watched this movie and it was like lightning struck. And the lead actress just like, I was like, what? Who is she? What is this? And I just started looking for everything that she was in. And the third film was called Morning Raga. And this music started at the beginning. And I was like, oh, well, first of all, the first film I did, like there's there's music in it. And it's beautiful. The third film was the Carnatic music. And I'm like, what is this? And I'm Googling. What is this music? And it's South Indian classical music. And I was like, this is it. This is this is it. This is this is the sound I'm looking for. This is oh, my gosh, I love this. And then I just like eight days later, I was sitting at someone's place in Queens, New York, and started studying Carnatic music singing. And in Queens, I went into a video store and I was like, okay, what do you have? What movies do you have with Shabana Azmi? And what are the classics? Like, what do I have to see? And I started watching all these classic Indian films and everything with Shabana in it. And I just knew I was like, this is it. This is the sound. So I told my producer in New York, I was like, I found it. This is the sound. And I played him a bunch of music. And I was like, I think you can do this. I was like, we have to go to India. I was like, we can't just make this in New York. Like that would be like hypocritical. We're going to make a music, you know, an album influenced by the sounds of India and not go to India. So I don't know how, but we're going to go to India. And I spent the next, you know, whatever, six months, eight months, nine months. Um, we were doing pre-production in New York, like getting this, the arrangements of the song and the feel of the whole song. And we like basically had a skeleton of, of all these songs. And I went to every... Indian music uh, event that happened in New York and met some really cool people and was just super inspired. And then the film festival, I'm not going to remember the name of it properly. I'm sorry, Arun. Um, there's an Indian film festival that happens and Shabana's film was, be uh, was being shown and there's a gala, and a silent auction. And, and I said to um, Arun who runs it now at this point, like I'm one of very few white people going to all these events. So I've met a lot of people and they know me. And I email Arun and I was like, I don't know if you know, but my entire like connection to India is because of Shabanaji. Is she going to be at the film festival? I'd really love the opportunity to meet her. And she's like, oh yes, we're good friends. Like since school days, <laughs> she'll mm. be there. And uh, I'm like, cool. So I, the night before is the gala and I'm, you know, me music, meeting me. I bid on two tickets to India and I won the tickets. So I text Alex, Alex, I got the tickets. We're going to India. I don't know when yet, but we're going. And he's like, what? And then the next day, Shivana's film is uh, 
you know, shown and she's speaking after. And I spoke with her. I got, you know, I got up, you know, they asked, you know, does anyone have a question in the audience? And I was like, I don't have a question. I just wanted to let you know that like, you've totally inspired me. And like, I'm making a record. I'm coming to India. I, I just told her, really, you've been a hero to me. And she was, she was absolutely like super inspirational as a person. She, so there's Bollywood films and then there's the indie cinema. And she was a leading actress in the indie cinema. She was like the first woman who did a film about women getting divorced. The first film I saw is called Fire. And actually A.R. Rahman, who I co-wrote this song and won a Grammy certificate for and wrote a number of songs with, he did the music in the first film I saw. So yeah, first film I saw was Shivana G. He's the musical composer. That film was actually about two women who fall in love with each other. Their sister-in-laws, they're married to each other's like their husbands are each other's brothers. I think it was, but it's a lesbian queer story, which was like, I mean, they burned down theaters. Yeah. I was going to say, how does that work over there? Wow. Yeah. Interesting. There's there. India is very non-binary. Like the West is very binary. The East is more non-binary in general, although also like very can be very like gender conforming as well. Right. There's a there's very interesting around that around like gender and sexuality very different than the than the U.S. My experience is there, but that was like again she's in a film that's like pushing boundaries, and she did that again and again and again. She was in Parliament, right? She actually became a member of Parliament. She like and so as a person, I really admired her. As an artist, I admired her, and she drew me. I mean, I have a soul family in India, and it Shivanaji and her husband, and Raghava KK, who's an artist, and AR. Like these are I just. This is my family. Like, I believe in reincarnation. I think this is my soul family. And one of the first songs that I learned was Javed Saab's song from one of her films. And they, so I, let me go back. I met her that evening, got to speak with her after privately. And she gave me her number. She said, call me when you come to India. And I'm like, I'm like oh my God, you know, because this is, you know, this is really happening. There's a, like I said, there's just a strong energetic connection with her and Javed Saab. A couple of weeks later, <clears throat> she was performing, they were doing a play uh, called Cafe Orme. I'll say that. I'll probably mispronounce that. Um, but I was, I went to the play. I was invited to the party after. And I told Javed Saab, so now her husband is one of the biggest and like most renowned lyricists of India, poets. And he's written a few of their big film screenplays, like renowned films, you know, or iconic ones. And I said to him, I'm totally innocent, but one of the first songs I learned was one of yours. And he's like, what? Really? Which one? And I start singing to him. And we're in this restaurant after the you know show. And he's like, wait, what? What happened to the song? Like, you're singing Urdu. And um, and he's like, how'd you know this? I was like, I listened to it. And then he's like, Shabana, come here, come here. And then he calls everyone around the table. He's like, listen to this. And I sing the song. And Shabana's like, where did you even hear it? I was like, it's in your film. <laughs> and then Javed, who's the music, he's the singer in that play. And he's like, you're actually doing the, you know, the, there's in between notes in Eastern music. And he's yeah. like, you're doing those very well. And I was like, thank you. He's like, how'd you learn it? I'm like, I just listened. So here we're having dinner. We're hanging out. And two months later, I'm in India and I'm having tea with her in her house. Wow. And I flew. Yeah, it's I mean, there's so much to this story. Like there's a whole book in this one. Like it's a big chapter in my memoirs. Like and I've been starting to share the story. I, I wrote it like I journaled it the whole the whole way because it was it was pretty miraculous. Like just every step of the way, I just felt very supported and guided and like you're doing the right thing here kind of thing. Because who does that? Like who who meets, you know, Vanessa Redgrave and then like is having tea with her tomorrow. Right. It just yeah, doesn't happen. Yeah. But 
India doesn't have as much of the gatekeepers as we do. So I went to, you know, see Zakir Hussain, who's a in, you know, world famous tabla player. He and Ravi Shankar were like the introduced the Eastern music to the West. I just walked backstage after a show because people don't really go backstage. Like here, you know, fans are like, ah, and there they're like, oh, he's like my cousin's cousin. Like they, <laughs> there's just, yeah. they just don't have the same like pop star mentality. Like it's so different. It's really lovely. Um, but I would walk backstage and I got to meet him. And when my producer came, you know, we met some producers and then we met all the producers because they all hung out. They're all friends. We were, we played, they hung out and jammed. Like the biggest producers in India, they just jam together. Like music is still like that. And I was like, oh, I absolutely love this. Yeah. So I wrote with, I wrote, I did vocal arrangements for Kailasa and Paresh uh, and Naresh. Paresh produces, this is the band. I did vocal arrangements for two singles on their uh, album. And then with Paresh, he had another band called Hypno Tribe, which is like psychedelic funk, jazz. And I wrote a whole album of lyrics with them. And I wrote a bunch of songs that are on uh, educational CDs in all the schools in India for like the for youth um, where we were teaching lessons through songs. So I wrote a song about the bones and the diaphragm and the heart. And, and I wrote all these lyrics for that, uh, which was really fun. Kind of reminded me of conjunction, junction, what's your function? All those, those uh, things that I heard as a kid. Yeah. So I got to write educational songs. And um and each step. So I lived in India about half the year for three years. And I was making this record, which is still, I'd say it's about 65% done. And it's sitting on a hard drive because I stopped pursuing being an artist. I do need to finish that record. It, it's really beautiful music. It's a, it's a Western record with Indian rhythms and sounds. So it's Western storytelling, Western style. But instead of a lead guitar, it's a lead sitar. And there's like a whole like Chennai horn section and every Indian instrument, like percussion instrument that I loved and could find was like, is on it. It's, it's, it's really special. So I know that I'll go back to giving it its time. It's just, I stopped pursuing being in the recording artist because I just, again, I just realized I'd love so much. I love writing. So I never stopped writing music and writing for other people wrote, wrote uh, Wanderland is a film that I did. Uh, I music supervised and wrote nine or 11 uh, original songs for, I co-wrote those and produce them. So that record needs to be shared at some point because it really is beautiful. And the people who played on it were amazing. We had such an incredible time communicating. Like Joss Vinder was like my translator from Western to Eastern, you know, because everything was, I don't know, Alec, Alex would say, for example, he'd like, you know, sound out a drum beat he wanted and they would be like, we don't get that. But huh. Joss Vinder would be like, ta, tickety tom, ta, 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 ta. I'm going to mess that up because that's not legit. But he would translate it into Saregama. And you're like, okay, this is working. And yeah. he he helped me find every musician. He was just an angel in that project. And um, it was amazing. And every trip, like, so I'd go for two or three months at a time, go back to New York, go back to India two or three months. And every trip, just something really remarkable would happen. You know, I went to see AR in New Jersey. So I live in the city and I took you know, transportation out to New Jersey to see his show, got a ticket to the show, talked to the promoters. And again, I'm like one of very few white people. And I was like, I'd really love to meet AR. And like 10 minutes later, they had me a wristband. I'm like, there you go. We'll bring you back after the show. I'm like, amazing. Yeah. And I went back to, to meet AR and I handed him a disc, like a studio, like board mix of just some of the songs. I was like, 
I'm making a record. I really believe you're meant to work on it with me. And I'll be in India in a couple months. And one of the other musicians who had met me in India, who's an incredible percussionist, he looked at AR and like gave me the thumbs up, like, oh, she's cool. And I was like, okay. And uh, and AR Iman is, you know, the biggest producer in Southeast Asia and beyond. So again, I'm just going backstage, meeting him and um, and recognize that like, I'm sharing these stories. Like I've started sharing them in my socials and in my blog and the part paper. And it's it's not something I've shared a lot because I, I think it's about me. But what I've realized and when I share the stories, people are like, oh my gosh, this is inspiring. Like, tell us more. And then seeing like the element in it that is really valuable. Like it took me flying to the other side of the world alone. It took me taking risks. Like every every single step I took was a huge risk. I I got a ticket. I I went an hour and a half out of the city to go to this concert. I had the courage to like hand in my music and say, I'd like to work with you. You know, like it wasn't, none of this came to me on my couch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I kept having to take those risks over and over again. And, and there was such great adventures. Like I love adventures. So I was taking them and trusting in the process, you know, but every trip, like really amazing things like that happened. So I emailed when I hadn't heard back from AR for a while, I, I emailed the website because that's the only contact I had. And he actually emailed me back quite quickly with his telephone number and said, call me when you're in Mumbai. And I'm like, AR Ramon just gave me his number. Okay. Oh, you know? that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that you didn't pursue finishing the record because you decided that coaching was maybe more what you wanted to do. I'm curious. I, I know that you've developed a method and you've developed a lot of courses along the way. So how did that come about? So the root of my like technique training is from my teacher. But what happened to me and what I see happen over and over to artists is, and to, to developing artists is I was really told there's a right way to sing. Like, this is how you sing. This is good singing. Anything else is, you know, schlock. And what that did was really confine me, like to not explore my voice and not explore like, how do I want to express my voice? And it really got me stuck. And it, it got my heart just locked up. And my voice was out here sounding really good to people. Like I got applause for it. I got told I was got a gorgeous voice, but I didn't feel connected to my voice anymore. And I actually didn't like the way I sounded. And I heard um, a few years ago, I got all my reel to reel tapes that were sitting in boxes in a garage and uh, I had them digitized. And so a few years ago, I heard recordings I hadn't heard that I made when I was 15 years old and 16 years old. And, and I have every voice lesson I have, I had them all on a cassette tape. So I heard a bunch of those too, but I heard these recordings of me at 15 and well, like 14, 15, 16. And as I'm listening, I can hear like, Oh, I hear my potential. Oh, I hear my heart. Oh, I hear my training. I hear my training taking over. Oh, I hear my soul disappearing. I could feel it. And as a coach today and as an adult today, I was like, oh, if this person walked into my studio, I'd say, oh, she's got a really great potential. And I hear how I can help her, help her have more fun, help her be more free. So that that journey of me losing my spirit and I started hating music. I didn't like my voice. I was like, how come this thing I love so much I don't like anymore? What What went wrong? And so I took a lot of time to unravel like the perfectionism, me serving technique, 
And I just had to find my voice again. And like, how do I want to, how do I sing songs? I love singing, sing songs. I've been told aren't cool. Sing songs that like get me back in my chest range. Like I felt like I'd lost the bottom. I was singing like, you know, high and strong, but like, where's the bottom of my voice? Where'd it go? And so I spent all this time really just getting back to my heart and soul. And then I said, okay, technique helped me, helped me singing make was easier. I have one voice instead of a big crack in the middle. So how do I bring it back in a way that serves me instead of me serving it? And that whole process became the cornerstone of how I coach. And of course, my experiences as as an artist really informed me is like, I'm working with a whole human here. It's not just a voice I'm working with. I need to help this artist develop. And if they are already developed, expand. I want to help them expand what they can do. I worked even from the beginning, like one of my earliest clients was Nancy Sinatra. I work with artists who are established. And the first session I will hear repeatedly, I'm reluctant about this because I don't want to change my style. Mm. I don't want you to change my sound. And I was like, that's not what I do. I'm going to help you expand so you can have more fun, be able to do more things that you want, express yourself in ways that maybe you can't right now. It's like a painter just having more colors to paint with and, and new techniques to paint next to express yourself. I'm about helping you do you. And fortunately, you know, artists after a few sessions are like, oh, okay, I like this. This is fun, you know, and then maybe a little bit down the line, they're like, this feels weird, but I get it. Like, I'm able to sing songs I was struggling with or like now I'm, I have an artist right now that's amazing, like iconic in their field. And they're like, they told me, oh, we're, we're recording songs I thought we'd never record. They're, they're just getting easier now. And, and I like, I like what we're doing. I like the way we sound. So I'm like, okay. And that's, you know, again, we're winning. When that's happening, we're winning. So me as a person, you know, just always curious about humanity. I love to grow. I love to evolve. I want to create a life that I'm enjoying and seeing what happens with artists. And I think life too, you know, life in general, I don't know too many people who are raised with, you're amazing. Let's just help you be you in the world as opposed to fit in, be more like this, you know, usually with, I'm going to say generally good intent, like like the intention is to keep you safe or the intention is to help you succeed, or it's just, you know, the culture we live in that, you know, has told us there's a very narrow definition of beautiful or successful. And really, we need to find our definition of beautiful, what we value, what success looks to like to us, um, because we need everybody's individual voice. So, you know, a mixture of who I am and my spirit, my experience as a creative really be informed me as a, as a coach. So like, I, I don't just teach technique. I help the artist really create the life that they want to create. And I found that a lot of people needed like emotional intelligence and some career guidance in the coaching. So it wasn't just like, cause they were struggling with more than just their voice. And also if you struggle with your voice, your confidence starts to go down and then other little things start crumbling. So we build up the voice, things start building up. And then we can look at, we have to address like, like the first session I have with every artist is called Blueprint. And this was, yeah, I mean, I watched myself develop this philosophy over the years, you know? And I was like, I can't just start training with you. We have to have a conversation first about, let me help you remember what you love and why you do this. And let's look at the things that have gotten you away from that. What's what's taken your focus away from like your original reason for singing and making music and Let's look at the things that are getting in your way because they're, they're stopping your growth. And they might be even be the things shutting your voice down and creating tension. 
And so that first session is we do some singing so that the artist can hear where I'm going to take them. Like in that first session, I'm going to show you, I'm going to make some adjustments vocally. I'm going to talk about the voice and the artist is going to hear, oh, wow, I can do that with my voice. Yes. And then we're going to train to do that and more. Right. So that first session, they're going to get a glimpse of how their voice can open up. But mostly it's a conversation so that we can let go of the things that aren't serving you so that we then start training and building without bringing that crap with us. You know, it's funny because you're branded as the holistic artist coach. And I was wondering where the holistic part came in, but you just explained it. Now I completely understand. And I think it's important. I've talked to a lot of other coaches as well. And the great deal of what they focus on is not what you would think. It's not what you might consider primary. It's all the other things around life that are influencing what you're doing and vice versa, just like you said. Yeah. It's this like technique is essential because, you know, if you were playing guitar in a certain way, you're going to hurt your back, your shoulder, and you're not going to be able to play the chords you want. You're not going to be able to play. Right. So the technique is essential because it, it actually is what helps us become more expressive. You know, think of this throat being open, outpours my emotion. But um, Phil Jackson, one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time, when he worked with the Lakers, he's working with the top players. Like, they they didn't need to learn how to dribble. They don't, you know, maybe they they need some shooting coaching, right? But it's a free, especially at the free throw line. But what he worked on his particular defense, which was unique to him, and he did meditation. And he worked on helping them become better teammates and visualizing and, again, working that emotional intelligence. Because, again, if I, I'm working with artists that are quite successful when I started and then I was working with emerging artists, right? We got to look at, like, your skills are amazing. So what else is causing you not to be able to execute them or, or enjoy them, right? Like, I want to bring people back to that reason why they sang in front of the mirror with a hairbrush, mm, Yeah, you know? That begs the question, then, it seems to me that most of your students are, have already tasted some degree of success. Yes. What would be the, for want of a better term, the lowest level, of, the, the entry level for you of, of a student in terms of technique? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. So most artists I work with have, I mean, there's definitely a baseline of they're singing well, right? Like, I'm not doing ear training with an artist. I, I've always had a couple beginners in, in uh, there's just always seems to be one or two. And for some reason, it's either it's someone I know or I heard them and I'm like, I hear their potential. Like, let, let me help them now. Right. And so others, if they're not quite there, I'll refer them to, them to some really terrific coaches and they'll come back later when they're like ready for the work we're going to do. And I enjoy like if it's someone who has a lot of growth, it's really fun because we make huge leaps, right? Like, oh my gosh, the difference between where you start and where you are in a minute, it's like massive. So that's very fun. But I I love to work with people who have experience so that what I give them, like they run with it, right? They're in the studio on Friday. They, they're writing a song with it tomorrow. They're on tour. Like I love to give people tools that just help them as they engage right away. Like for me, that's very fulfilling that they're putting it into action. Um, so, Cause sometimes like when an artist is emerging it depends on the artist, but their, their resistance to their own success, or if they lack hustle, it's just going to be a long time before they implement these things. Right. Cause, and so it's just not as fun for me, 
But I also know that like whatever time it takes, you know, maybe it's a few years down the line and then they're exploding and they're like, oh, Wendy, everything we did is help me. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, that's that's the meaning of life to me. If I've made making a positive impact on someone's life is meaningful to me. I think for any coach, that's really the point of success when you feel that, when you feel that you've helped somebody and they they understand that you that you're integral to their success. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say I play a small role, like there's a lot to do, but I also I also recognize like, yeah, I recognize the leaps that people take and the the work that we did that is a part of that, without a doubt. You know, I, I used to be more shy about that. Like, oh no, it's not me, it's them. But, you know, I, I, I recognize the work we do is, it is integral, yeah. you know? And the other aspect, like with, with Blueprint and with the things I that I do, like, as you mentioned, like I have online classes that anyone now can take and be like, these are core things that I do with artists one-on-one. I've turned them into artist development programs. So someone can just buy it, take it, learn from it. Um, Cause I can't teach everybody hour by hour, right? One-on-one. And the other aspect is because the industry has changed so much, it takes an average of seven to 10 years for an artist to find their voice. Any artist, filmmaker, painter, singer, like it just takes time and you have to make multiple records like you've got to you're exploring yourself right but artist development is really left to the artist now so the artist is expected to do all of this on their own now and be an entrepreneur and a marketer and a video editor for social media and that seven to ten years can really take longer now because there's so much just left to the artist to do on their own and so that's where all these years of things I've done one-on-one with people, I've turned into a month-long artist incubator program for authentic branding. So when you talk about like coaching is more than just the voice, right? There's all these other aspects. Well, helping an artist be able to express who they are across the board. So their visuals and their designs and their music video and their social media content and the outfit that they're wearing and their performance on stage is all who they are. Like this, oh, this is me it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult as a human to know yourself, right? And the artist is diving into those questions, but I have a lot of processes to help the artist find their sound, remember things they forgot about themselves, show the things they've been hiding, uh, bring out the things that people told them not to because they weren't cool. Yes, they are. They're, they're, They're the coolest part of you. And so this helps the artist really know themselves better and then be able to communicate it to their team this is the dartboard of me. Let's aim for this dartboard. And I can I can show you musical references and visual references. And these are my main archetypes and, you know, all these things that really help us know who we are so that when you make a music video, from the time you say, let's make a music video to saying yes to a bunch of choices to right before that music video is ready to come out and you look at it and say, I don't want to release this because it's not really me. It's not right. How'd you go from the beginning and all those yeses to it's not me. So having these tools, having these awarenesses of yourself and these specificities can help you not get to that place, but keep directing it in the direction of, yeah, that's me. Oh, that's more me. And that's not quite right. Here, let me, let's look at, let's think about this or let, let me show you some samples of stuff that will help you get more to me, right? Because even the artist is like, I have a general idea, but we need to get clear and specific so that it's consistent and you can repeat it again and again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, it's important. Without without guessing, like, well, how come it worked last time? I don't know. I got the idea from this video I saw of another artist I like. We can go on and on, I'm sure. I know. <laughs> last question. You've lived a very 
diverse life, more so than most people that I certainly talk to. So this is a good question for you. What's the best piece of advice that maybe you received or you learned along the way? Hmm. That's such a good, that's a good question. I'm having like three ideas. Yeah. Sort, sorting them out. One thing I, I learned from my own experiences that I share with artists is if you put both hands out in front of you, left and right hand here, and your left hand is the gig, the opportunity, the thing, the people you'd work with, the money you'd make, the experience you'd have, that's, that's in your left hand. And in your right hand is what you think you'll get out of it. Drop the right hand. Doesn't exist. You have no idea what will come of it. Do you want to do the thing? Do you like the people? Will you learn from it? Will you get paid to learn? Will you be in over your head a little bit? I put money lower on the on the on the um, criteria scale. You know, because if you're doing it just for the money and the other stuff is bad, like the people aren't cool and you don't really like the music, like you're gonna have a horrible experience. But if you're learning, you love the people, you like the music, you like the the, the money you could always get more money like the, and the, the relationships there and your experience is going to be so fruitful. So take away what you think you're going to get out of it. And then just decide if you want to do the thing for the thing's sake and the people that you get to work with. Um, Cause that's where the experience actually is. The, this Grammy certificate I have, that's a cool piece of paper on the wall. And it definitely gave me some criteria, uh, uh, um, cred, right. It opened some doors, but the biggest part of this was, being in India at 2.30 in the morning and writing the song and vocal producing the song and being in the studio and like, like I'm getting goosebumps right now. Like the, the, the experience itself was the best part. And I didn't, I had no idea that that was going to happen. I didn't, it was, it's a Danny Boyle film. I didn't even know it was a Danny Boyle film when I wrote the song. I thought it was a Bollywood film. So you never know the outcome. There's a, there's a young artist right now Actually, she just released a song we co-wrote called Burn It Down. And we did we did a record. We did two. The second record we just did with Paul Moak at Smokestack in Nashville. And I really like the people I'm working with. Really like Kirstie, the artist. Her dad's part of the creative team. He's an awesome guy. Paul is an amazing producer. We're in Nashville. So I went to write and vocal produce. And we had an awesome experience. You know what they just did with it? A bunch of those songs, about seven of the songs on the record, I think it is, are now in a musical that they've developed and they're now working that musical on its way to Broadway. No idea that was going to happen, right? Do I, but did I want to do the thing with those people? Was, you know, could I say yes because the money was respectable, right? Not not full rate, mm-hmm. but some points on the back end. And do I want to, do I want to say yes to that thing? Yeah, I did, I did. And then, oh my gosh, a year later, they're like, we've, we've put, we've created this musical with these songs. And I'm like, that's amazing. And now we'll see what happens next with it. So I think that that's the thing. Like, look at the thing, forget your expectations or your, the results you think you're going to get, and then see if you want to do the thing and trust your gut when you make your choice. You can find out more about Wendy and the Parr Method at wendyparr.com. That's Wendy Parr, W-E-N-D-Y-P-A-R-R, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. 
Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. You can also learn all about the latest in music news, audio and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or you can find it in Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.